0: listeners of platonically intimate it is i isaac and as many of you know at the end of season one i moved to alaska i am actually here in fairbanks recording the first episode of season two and i'm so excited to introduce today's special guest
1: joe it, it's the same person who was here in season one <laughs> but it is it is a special occasion because we are not in fourth north studios as isaac said we are in the grand state of alaska Mm-hmm. in the beautiful city of Fairbanks, the golden
0: heart, city? the golden heart city, that is correct. So I've been living in Fairbanks since August 1st, 2021. And um we we keep saying things that like almost give our identities away. Just so you guys know, I'll be moving before this episode is published, so I don't live here anymore.
1: And I don't live here. <laughs> and we've never been at a place where I've lived, so I'm never in danger. Yep. It's just Isaac.
0: No one will find Joe. Yeah. So, anyway, um, I have been living in Fairbanks since August, and I'm actually moving on June 1st, for those of you who are bound by the constraints of time. Rip. And, yeah, that must be a bummer. So, Joe came up to visit me. We've been doing some Alaska activities, which may get mentioned throughout the podcast. He's been up here for about three days? days a little yeah about three days and it's been super fun we are going to on some more adventures tomorrow and the rest of the week before heading out so we are super excited to start up season two of the podcast it's backed by very popular exciting, demand
1: very exciting a lot of popular demand since i've been here too everyone's like you guys when's season two coming are you making episodes
0: <laughs> yeah it's been kind of fun some of my friends have found out about the podcast uh, friends that i've made here and uh, when they found out Joe was coming, they're like, wait, like like platonically, platonically intimate, intimate Joe? Joe? And I'm like, that's the it guy? It is
1: fun coming here and everyone like knows who I am. Yeah. Both because I'm your friend and because of the podcast. They're like, I love the podcast. That's like half of the first introductions that were yeah. made to me. are like, nice podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it feels pretty cool. We uh, I'm famous. We're slightly famous, specifically Joe, because I had to tell people about the podcast. But other people had to tell Joe about the podcast, so that's right. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Alrighty, well, let's hop right into it. I'm going to start as someone who's been living in Alaska with a story about someone from Alaska. He's not really from Alaska, but everything he did in this story happened in Alaska. Everything of import. Yeah, is everyth- related to Alaska. Everything cool happened in Alaska. So this is the story about a man by the name of Edward Jessen. He moved to Alaska in 1896 um, to the Cook Inlet, which is uh, a spot near Anchorage. It's a geographical feature. You can find it on Google. And uh, he went up for the gold rush, and he didn't have much luck. When he heard about the Yukon gold rush, he moved up to the Yukon River. And at a place that is no longer in existence called Star City, he opened up a shop, and he was a salesman there. just a classic old timey supply store. Right. Exactly what you think of when you think of an old West uh, kind of place, except they have winter. So, yeah. Different, different supplies at different times of year, but exactly what you think it might be. And so, uh, Edward was running this store and he heard about a new gold rush in a city called Nome, Nome, Alaska, oh. of fame for the original Iditarod transporting medicine up there through dog sled teams. Right hmm so gnome is on the west coast of alaska Nome is about a thousand miles away from where he was at and so edward was thinking to himself how can i get to this gold rush he's been at two gold rushes he's never found gold before he wants to strike it rich third time's the charm third time's the charm and so in 1899 a bunch of boats set out in hopes of getting to Nome, but they got stuck in the ice and they never made it. Um, They had to winter and wait for the ice to melt before they could continue their journey. Um, That is a very dangerous situation. That's terrifying. Yes. And so Edward saw this opportunity and he said, this is my chance to beat them to Nome. Right. But I cannot get there. Because just like the boats are stuck in ice, he would have to walk a thousand miles along the Yukon River. Wow. Through winter. Yes. And so he, he was trying to figure out what to do, and something came to his attention. You might know it as a bicycle. I might. You might. Yeah. So it, there's a thing called the safety bicycle. It had some innovations, including rubber tires, uh, those had never really Ooh. been used before. Right. And someone sold him a safety bicycle, was what it was called, for $150. Uh, he sold both of his stores. To buy that bicycle, I was going to say
1: that's pricey, like almost for like today's standards. If you want a bicycle,
0: Mm -hmm. that was five thousand dollars in today's money for a bicycle. Um, And if you're like an avid cyclist and trying to buy some high-end carbon fiber, all that cool stuff, Mm -hmm. you might spend five thousand dollars on a bike. But this, this was just a bike.
1: This was just like
0: some iron. Yeah. So actually, it was made of steel. Okay. And because they expected people to ride it in wintertime. They Mm -hmm. actually took rawhide, put it around the steel and shrunk it so that you could touch the bike.
1: That's very smart. I wish my bike did that. (laughs) Honestly. I'm going to get on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So um, he bought this steel and rawhide bike that weighed 50 pounds.
1: Oh. Yes. Oh my. That is very heavy for a bicycle. Of today's standards.
0: Yeah. And so the second problem arose at which point he realized he didn't know how to ride a bike. This this was before 1900 and people didn't really right. have bikes. Right. And so he spent one week practicing and then he said, I am ready to bike to Nome. A
1: thousand miles. A thousand through miles. Through the winter.
0: Through the winter. Alaskan winter. Yes. Cool. And so he, he practiced for that week. And then on March 1st, he left from Eagle City, um, another place. I'm not sure if that one still exists, but okay. that was where his journey began. Now, um, even on short trips, bikers were known for getting severe frostbite because as you increase in speed, you create wind. Not actual wind, but you're getting air moving past your skin at a fast speed. You're sucking the moisture out. And so this was a very dangerous trip. But on March 3rd, he reached Circle, Alaska. Okay. So two days later, now he actually could have reached Circle much quicker. But as he started going, someone told him that the roads weren't good enough for his bike. So he carried it to Circle. Oh, my goodness. He carried his 50-pound bike and all of his supplies to Circle, Alaska. I don't know exactly how many miles that is. I should have looked it up. And I actually have a quote to read from a journal that he kept. Um, This is a few days later. Next morning, March 8th, it was very cold. The only thermometer that they had there was a bottle of Quicksilver, which is mercury which had frozen solid they claimed it was 45 below and when the quicksilver freezes which is 39 below Mm -hmm. the old timers claimed that it was too cold to work and that your axe would break if you chopped wood
1: oh my gosh
0: so he was riding his bike um his thermometer was not equipped to continue reading the temperature right it was too cold the literal mercury turned into solid Solid mercury. mercury yeah and his thermometer no longer worked. And so this is these are the conditions he was riding his bike through. That's ridiculous. And so he's traveling throughout Alaska, going to campsites and roadhouses and even stopping in a few tent cities, which are surprisingly common even in the winter during this time. And he rode for a few more days until March 13th. And he didn't really celebrate his birthday. Although it was his birthday, there's no one around. (laughs) And so he rode through his birthday on March 13th. And 14 days later, on March 27th, he was getting pretty close to Gnome. And he walked or he rode his bike and he found some travelers. And they were leaving Gnome. Oh, that's not good. And one thing that they told him was that Gnome had run out of gold. Oh, my goodness. He was two days away. From Nome, and he found out that they were out of gold. But at this point, he was too committed. He had yeah, already rode over nine hundred miles, and so he continues riding to Nome. And on four at four p.m. on March twenty ninth, nineteen hundred, Edward Jessen reached Nome, Alaska, for the gold rush. Now he had traveled one thousand miles, and he kept journals the whole way—ten books of journals. Holy smokes! Which is another feat in and of itself. In one yeah. month, he. Took 10 books of journals. That's, like, yeah. the only thing he did while he wasn't making He, like, quite <laughs> exactly. journaled, slept. Yep. Repeat. Yep. And so, um, unfortunately, most of these journals are lost. Some of them were recovered um, by someone he, who later worked for him, actually, in California. Okay. And he or this person put together these things and created a little book, so you can learn more about Edward Jessen if you are interested. Um, Unfortunately, it is not known if Edward Jessen ever struck it rich in Gnome. As I said, those people warned him that Gnome was out of gold, but they were very wrong. The gold rush lasted until 1909. I was going to say, I
1: don't remember the gold rush just like ending that quickly. Once exactly. Once they were like, Gnome's got gold. Oh, it's out. Yeah. It wasn't that quick.
0: Exactly. So he actually had nine years of being in Gnome with potential to find gold. Um, he eventually made it to California where that person found his journals. Okay. Um, but nothing else is really known of No one
1: knows what happened in Nome. What happens in Nome stays in Nome, apparently.
0: Apparently, yeah. And uh, the gold is still there or somewhere else. <laughs> wow. And that is the story of Edward Jessen. Alaska is full of insane people who do ridiculous things that are death-defying. And riding your bike through minus 40 degrees for 1,000 miles in 1900 is pretty death defying
1: even carrying it for like maybe f- i you didn't have the distance re- written down but it might have been like 50 miles potentially potentially yeah. for two days of walking mm-hmm. that's ridiculous uh a pro tip that you, i think believe you told me okay while i've been here is if you do something stupid in alaska or crazy <laughs> yeah journal it yeah because you can get a book or a show written about yeah, you later if, if
0: you die and they find your journals um you'll go down in history just yeah. like edward jessen who i mean he's dead now but right he didn't die from this so
1: right and now more people know about him
0: Mm -hmm. because
1: he the craziest cyclist ever i need to show this episode of the podcast to people who call me crazy for biking in north dakota i'm like (laughs) i'm not crazy this guy is (laughs) yeah i'm nothing
0: yeah so i hope you enjoyed our nice narrative i felt like i started season one with a story about a guy felt it was two. appropriate to start season two with a story about a guy now it's a tradition now it's a tradition we're gonna be doing it all the way through season 50 oh my gosh uh, at least <laughs> at least <laughs> i just committed we're stuck now oh yeah we have to do
1: 50 seasons yeah we have to do everything the same for the rest of our lives
0: <laughs> all right well i am so excited to announce that we get to bring back my favorite segment of the podcast what's that fun facts with joe <laughs>
1: Fun fact, the Sahara Desert is the third largest desert in the world behind the Arctic and the Antarctic. Well, did you think that was an exciting enough fun fact?
0: I did think that was pretty exciting. Okay. I I love facts that are about Alaska that are just like weird. Like parts of Alaska are a desert. Yes. Yeah,
1: most people don't think of the North and South Pole as deserts, but they are places with low precipitation and are barren. That's the two requirements for being a desert. Um, But Isaac, I have a I have a question that I would like to ponder with you. Okay, which is what is excited? Ooh, excited! You know, I don't I don't know. You know where we could find out? In the American Dictionary of the English Language by Noah Webster, 1828. That's right. We do not have the Signature Season 1 Dictionary.
0: Unfortunately, the Signature Season 1 Dictionary still exists, but it It is is in North Dakota.
1: Yep, and I did not want to bring that in my (laughs) carry-on. That thing is heavy.
0: Yeah, and so I know some people up here who've got a lot of old-timey books. Unfortunately, this is a reprint. This book is not 200 years old. No, I wish. the content in it was printed is, almost 200 years yeah, ago.
1: This is Webster before Merriam. Yeah. Which is cool. Um, there's no page number, but I will start off with reading the definition for uh, excite. And I'm going to read definition two from this dictionary. The definition simply says to stimulate. That's that's it. That's all, folks. Um, So something that I know we want to talk about is that that's all excited means. And I think we often tack a lot of extra context on top of it. Like mm-hmm. that isn't implicitly like in the
0: word. Yeah. Yeah. People people connotate excitement with things that are good or happy. Right. Like I was excited to
1: come visit you in Alaska. And I was excited for you to come. And those were both well, at least for me, I'm not going to speak on your behalf. Those are both good feelings. <laughs> yes. But excited in terms of like emotion could mean a variety of things. If I get like really mad at Isaac and I like strangle him live on this podcast, not live, he'd have to edit it first and <laughs> send it out, which it, would be it weird. It could be the next bonus yeah, the next <laughs> episode. I don't edit those. You could say that I was excited because I was very stimulated. I was like,
0: Wah!
1: Mm. Um, Yeah. It can mean like, almost all emotions
0: yeah or even it can it can exist outside of emotion i remember actually being in a high school science class and we were doing an experiment just mixing two chemicals together and the description of that uh, reaction was called exciting the original liquid because it caused something to happen it stimulated the original liquid to change that is uh
1: something that happens a lot in physics um documentation as a physics major i do read the words a lot like you excite the particle when the particle becomes excited Mm. and it has just become second nature for me to like know obviously that that means the literal definition of excited and not like well good for him i'm glad he's excited like (laughs) i'm sad i haven't even made that joke yeah because i don't even know if any other physics majors would get it because they read the word excite and they think stimulated Mm -hmm. they don't even think like i'm so excited
0: yeah so basically, um, if something happens and it makes you really sad, that's you're exciting. excited. That's very exciting. I'm. I'm so. I'm not excited for you. I'm. I mean, maybe I am. I would even be excited. I would be stimulated by your emotions. Right. And if you, uh, if you're angry, you're definitely excited. That's for that's sure. for sure. Um,
1: so a pro tip as we sort of wrap up our first main section of season two mm-hmm. is that if you know someone. Who has listened to this podcast, and then later on they tell you like, "Oh, I'm so excited for you." You might want them to clarify
0: because <laughs> now they might be meaning <laughs> something sure. very different.
1: That is for sure. So you're welcome.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, we now we now are reaching the point where we have nine things for you guys to talk about and to think about in a different way. Yes. 10 actually i forgot about the christmas episode oh dude so we have 10 things we we basically have our own our own jargon we're
1: slowly rewriting your brain and your jargon yes we have a lot of power over you yes extreme keep listening yep (laughs) all right isaac it's time for my favorite part of the episode which is fun facts with isaac
0: So today I've got a fun fact that's also very relevant to Alaska. If you haven't noticed, our, our episode is fairly Alaska themed. We're filming in Alaska. Unfortunately, you guys don't get to watch the video afterward, but, but we are filming it. But we definitely. are filming it. Yeah. Just trust us. <laughs> and um, so in Alaska, you have to travel by plane a lot. There are a couple big cities like Anchorage and Fairbanks. Um, but honestly, even to get to the, na- uh, the state's capital in Juneau, you have to take a boat or a plane. You cannot drive there so planes are very common and if you go anywhere in western alaska you will need to take a plane or a boat as well and so uh my fun fact today is about planes give a man a plane ticket and he'll fly for a day push a man out of a plane and he'll fly for the rest of his life
1: (laughs) i it was really hard to not start chuckling before you finish that joke <laughs> i i don't know if you guys know this but isaac and i do not know each other's fun facts before we say state them and that's yeah, usually that would be the also fun. yeah it's also usually the case with our main topics mm-hmm. usually mm-hmm. um but i knew where you're going with that right away and <laughs> i was like no i can't start laughing before he finishes the joke <laughs> all right <laughs> that was funny all right now it is time for my segment of the podcast. Um and surprise, it's Alaska themed. What? Lightly. Okay. Lightly Alaska themed.
0: I first heard about this thing when I was in Alaska.
1: Right. Isaac first heard about this thing from me because I realized that he's in Alaska and something else is in Alaska. Mhm. All right, I would like to talk about overland trains. And now That is a confusing term and we'll get into that. But the first time I told someone that like it's a land train or I said I said to someone it's like a train but on land (laughs) and they were like that is what a train is. I was like shoot. So overland trains are a very niche form of technology that were around for like a decade or less depending on how you want to count it. Wow. I didn't realize it was that short. Yes. Yes. and there was only like, there's less than a dozen built. There's not a lot of great records about these. Okay. But there's like five that I could, I could like find information about. Okay. Um, I'm not going to talk about all of them. Okay. An overland train is essentially an extremely large semi tractor trailer or a truck, a highway truck, some people might call them. Mm-hmm. Except they're not designed to go on highways, they're designed to go literally wherever like they will like run over trees <laughs> and they will drive as is their purpose they will drive through Alaskan bush and the west coast of Canada they're designed to take cargo all the way from California up to anywhere it needs to go into Alaska and into the Arctic Circle wow without the need for roads
0: so if you've heard of an ATV um you haven't that's yes. actually this
1: yes this is an all terrain truck in its truest form yeah so these started out as a concept concept in the 1950s and they were started by the army the army commissioned a company called let okay i should have said it more confidently but whatever <laughs> confidence is key kids. Yep. and i don't have that key <laughs> uh, <laughs> the door is still locked the door is very much locked um the army wanted just a bunch of ways that they could get stuff far north, mm-hmm. Alaska in the 1950s is even less like paved than mm-hmm. it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very least today you could take like the Alaskan highway. Mm-hmm. You couldn't do that in the 1950s, um, especially not with a bunch of equipment to like build military bases, yeah, if they needed to. And the largest of these that were built was 600 feet in length which is approximately like seven or eight regular semi trucks that is in insane length. and these things are also like can get up to like 20 to 30 feet tall wow um the biggest ones mm-hmm. now so well, these, get,
0: these aren't like something that was being manufactured like people were no, custom building each yes, one
1: every single one that was built looks vastly different wow yes uh I'll talk about why they're called trains, because it is confusing a little bit. But the reason they're called trains is simply because of the sheer length. Like, they were multiple cars. The one that was 600 feet long, I believe, was like 10 cars. Okay. So it had, like, you know, the truck, and then Mm -hmm. it was pulling 10 cars. And I'll get into why that was feasible Mm -hmm. later. And the shape, obviously, when it moves around, it moves kind of like Like a a a snake if it's moving around a corner, just like a train. And the last reason they were also called trains is because they used the same technology as trains were starting to get into, which is the power of diesel electric motors. And what that means is you have a diesel engine, mm-hmm. a relatively big one. Yeah, And I would all the- <laughs> uh If you will. Yeah. The uh, diesel engine doesn't power any of the wheels directly. What it does is it generates a bunch of electronics electronic electric power okay and then they just run that power through cables because that's way easier than mm-hmm. axles mm-hmm. and mechanical pieces to each and every single wheel and then by each wheel Got there's it. an electric motor Got it. and they're like this is way easier when we're making large things like mm-hmm. trains on rails mm-hmm. so someone mm-hmm decided when the army sent out this like we need three really big vehicles that can take stuff a long ways they're Mm -hmm. like why don't we just make something like that that doesn't need roads or rails yeah so i'd like to talk about the one that's here in alaska the vc 22 snow freighter um, which is parked just a measly like 20 minutes away from where we are right now Mm -hmm. And I actually visited it earlier.
0: Yeah, we went to it two days ago. Joe went back yesterday for I some did. for some on the field research. Yeah,
1: I got to get up close and personal. I got to touch it, and uh, the people who own the property were very, very nice, and I highly appreciate them. But please, if you are ever doing something like that, talk to the people who own the land first. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't matter where you are. Just, just like don't don't like crawl over fences and stuff to see this stuff. Mm-hmm. Ask first. Yeah. Um, the VC twenty two snow Freighter was a grand total of uh one main vehicle i think is what they called it mm-hmm. and then six cars okay the main vehicle and all six cars each had four wheels these okay. f- four wheels are about when they're fully inflated they're about like eight to ten feet tall wow okay for a s- size reference and this is actually one of the smaller ones <laughs> just wait till you see the vc23 number. oh boy <laughs> their numbering system is ridiculous okay by the way there's not a vc23 okay um this the specifications for this Mm -hmm. were that it had those six cars all of those wheels are powered which is why they were able to make vehicles this big without it being like incredibly ridiculous and it Mm -hmm. could still you know go wherever it wanted to yeah um it was able to cross four foot deep rivers wow um which just like very few other vehicles in the world can do. It could only take 150 tons. I say only. That's a big number. Yeah. But this is a gigantic vehicle. Yeah. Each car relatively couldn't hold a lot in weight, but it could hold a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was designed to cut through snow and it could operate in negative 68 degrees Fahrenheit.
0: Oh my gosh. That's okay. One thing I forgot to mention in my story about good old Eddie. Yeah. Um, the oil in the grease on his bike and the chain would freeze sometimes no. and it would just stop. Yep. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> That's ridiculous. The So the VC-22
1: snow freighter was a measly, compared to what I talked about before, mm-hmm. a measly 274 feet long.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. That's tiny. No, yeah.
1: S- small numbers, right? I can walk that far. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, the VC-22 was specifically built to help with the dew line in okay. the 1950s. And the dew line is the distant early warning line. And it's a series of radar posts that were made along the Arctic Circle, both in the US and Canada, and I believe in Greenland and potentially some Nordic countries that were like NATO aligned. Um, Because the purpose of them were to detect Soviet bombers so that they could have an early warning of like, if a Russian bomber wanted to come over here and bomb the U S the quickest way to do it would be to fly through the Arctic circle. And in the 1950s, they both the U S and U S S R would frequently just have bombers like circling Mm. in the like Arctic circle area. So they were like always like hours within reach of like dropping a bomb on each other. Nice. Um, classic cold war stuff. Yeah. Classic cold war stuff. Um, so they were like, how are we going to, get the materials out there to build this gigantic thing. And then Latarno's like, we'll build another one. And it was specifically for this. Okay. And just so you know, so this went for hundreds of miles through whatever it needed to. Mm-hmm. And the way they would do that is they would like live on board this thing. while it's... Wow. Um, the VC-22 I know has two beds in it. Okay. So they'd have like a crew of like six-ish people, and they would rotate. They just take turns on they the They just take turns. Um, that, that really large one, the uh, TC497 Overland Train Mark II, you can see their naming system, doesn't yeah. make any sense. The 600-foot-long one, mm-hmm. it had like a crew of a dozen. Okay. And it had actually like three engines on it. Wow. Um, like one in the middle front and one oh, towards okay, so the then end. so I going to have to transfer the and electricity it had, so far? Yeah, exactly. And one of the cars was just like, the crew car like it had a bunch of bunk beds and it had like a kitchen wow and like recreation area because they're like <laughs> you guys are going to be living on this thing for mm-hmm. potentially like weeks wow um the sad quote-unquote sad part about this story is that it only lasted for a decade mm-hmm. very niche uh because uh by the time nineteen like sixty one or 62 rolled around they were able to create helicopters that could lift Not 150 tons Mm -hmm. by any means, but they could lift large things and that was enough to get them from like a port, like Anchorage to the Arctic Circle. And they were like, this is way cheaper Mm -hmm. and simpler. Yeah. And also these overland trains had a habit of breaking down because Mm -hmm. they were such a specific, like each one was its own thing technology. Mm -hmm. You couldn't go to the local parts store. Yeah. It was like, if it broke down, it's junk. It's totaled. (laughs) Like if anything broke on it, it's totaled. Uh, The VC-22 snow freighter near Fairbanks made a grand total of two trips.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And it was on its way back from the Arctic Circle when a fire broke out in like one of its electrical compartments Hmm. and they had to get off the snow freighter and they just called it Totaled. And the company actually just left it there wherever it was like by some uh, little river that was crossing. They just mm-hmm. left it in the middle of the Alaskan wilderness because it wasn't worth it to go clean yeah. it up. And no one was going to hold them accountable if they just left it there. They're like, How, who's going to know? Sweet. Um, luckily, I don't know the story behind it, and I haven't found anyone who has figured out the story behind it. Mm-hmm. Someone eventually found it, and we're like, cool, big truck. I'll move it over here <laughs> yeah, and put it on display. Um, so that's the story of the overland train brief... Uh, kingdom the brief dynasty that they held (laughs) over like major freight in alaska
0: that's really cool
1: they were actually in the process of that 600 foot one Mm -hmm. never actually went on a mission wow they were that was uh, the biggest and best one they'd ever made it was gigantic Mm -hmm. obviously and they're like it's about ready and the army was like we're not going to pay for this anymore (laughs) and they're like okay i believe that cool. one is sitting in a museum somewhere in california
0: okay yeah because it never had a reason to get up that far right that's yeah that's really cool to learn about i remember one day you just texted me and you're like apparently there's a vc-22 snow freighter near fox and i was like i have no idea what that is and you're like you should find it and, and, like, and take so, a picture of it for so, me so i did i took a picture of it and i sent it to joe and then he's like, that is so awesome. And then yep. in like March, he was like, hey, uh, I think I'm going to come visit. And I was like, that sounds sweet. He's like, can we see the VC-22? And that was, I was like the first <laughs> thing I
1: asked. You're like, is there anything you want to do in Alaska? And I was like, I want to see the VC-22 Snuff Rader.
0: So he came up and uh, yeah, he's got to see it twice already, which is pretty cool. I had no idea that it was literally one of a kind. Oh, I thought yes. it was...
1: Like there were many like it. Yes. And
0: it's a, I shouldn't
1: say relatively small, but like they got bigger from the VC-22. Mm-hmm. The VC-22 was like the second or third one that they made. Okay. Um, And obviously the Overland train was the biggest and the best. I didn't mention where I was going to end this story. Um, These things had gigantic tires on them, Mm -hmm. um, especially the Overland train Mark II. And I believe the Overland train Mark II is the one specifically that was the catalyst for the starting of monster truck rallies. Wow,
0: that's super cool. Overland,
1: someone i didn't do research about monster truck rallies mm-hmm. so i don't know the specifics i'm sorry for all you monster truck fans yeah. um but someone literally saw the tires for the overland train Mark II, and they're like what if i put those on my pickup <laughs> and that's how it started and then that happened with many of the other overland trains because mm-hmm. they were the only things that would just make tires that big yeah um nowadays you can just get there are people who make, make monster truck tires yeah so yeah fun fact that's where monster trucks come from that's super cool those used to be for a practical vehicle instead of an entertaining vehicle
0: Hmm. well i i think that's all we've got for episode one i hope you guys enjoyed it we're so excited to be back in the studio back in in a a studio a good kind of excited yes a good kind of excited and um we may record another episode before we head back it's possible we may not also possible. either way um i hope you guys are excited in a good way for episode two and the rest of season two um and we can't wait for you to hear more of us
1: i don't remember how we sign off. i know how what i say at the end but you say something before me you i don't
0: sign. i don't think i say the same thing every time i'm done talking
1: see ya